Hey, everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 111 of the John Riley Project. Today is Saturday, February 15th. It's the day after Valentine's Day. So we can always remember that date. And as my frequent guest, love having him here, Mr. David Leland. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing good. How about you? All right. You got the, the Aztec sweatshirt. You got the Padre hat. And there's a lot going on, man. I love I love these sit downs. We do these sports updates. Um, they're just so awesome. Yeah, I love I love coming on here and doing these. First thing I want to start off with the Padres is because you know pitchers and catchers reported this week. You yeah. know, you got a lot of position players showing up early. Will Myers did actually show up today. Apparently, would have liked him to be there from day one, like Tatis was. But right, at least he's there before he has to be, mm-hmm. which God knows he needs to be after the last couple of years. Did you see the quote that he had? That I think um, was it. Uh, you know, Ben, um, what's the guy's name from Ben and Woods? You know, the the, the EP. No, the, the morning talk show guy on 94.1. He's also on Channel 10. Um, ben Higgins. Ben Higgins. Yeah, I couldn't think of his last name. He had retweeted a uh, um, a, a tweet that, that Myers said that, hey, I've, I've they were asking how he's doing. And he said, I've been in trade talks a long time. I know how to handle it. Um, I've been traded twice, but I'm happy to be here. And so. I try to read between the lines. You know, I wonder what his psyche is going to be like. Are you talking about the one where he said, like, I want to make good on my contract. I know I've sucked the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's great. That's great to hear him say that. Yeah. But, hey, actions mean a lot more than words. Actions speak louder than words. So we got to see him, you know, acting like he cares and acting like his heart's in it, which I've questioned the last year and a half. I agree. I And, and I'm just hoping he turns the corner. Um, maybe Tommy Pham can kick him in the ass, you know? So <laughs> I was about to say, I don't think those two are going to like each other very much. And I would not want to no. be Will Myers coming back to the dugout after a three-pitch strikeout having to see Tommy Pham in there. <laughs> exactly. So, so anyways, yeah, so good. He showed up. Yeah, it would have been great to show up early. I think that would have been a really good faith move. I think so, too. But the greatest mm-hmm. thing of all would have been if he was showing up to JetBlue Park as a Red Sox because we traded for Mookie Betts. <laughs> Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And honestly, at first, I was really mad and really pissed off at the ownership. Like, my initial mm-hmm. reaction, I was like, how do we let this guy go to the Dodgers? But after the initial anger wore off, you know, 24, 48 hours later, I was thinking, you know, it's not, it's okay. And, I'm, and I say this because Boston just wanted to dump price. Right. And you're instead of taking the better package that we offered, as opposed to what LA offered, you can say, well, ownership should have taken on the contract. I mean... If it was just taking Mookie's $27 million, I would agree with that. Right. Because the Padres' payroll right now is sitting at $141 million, I believe. I checked yesterday. Mm-hmm. So you add Mookie Betts' $27 million. That's $168 million. I mean, that's kind of pushing it, but they can afford that. But if you add the $17 million a year that L.A. is taking on for price on top of that, that pushes into, what, the 180s? Yeah. And that's just, that's just that's a lot to ask for out of a small market. Right, right. 160, if it was into the 160s and, you know, they cheaped out, then you can be mad at ownership. But it was going to take them into the 180s, so pretty hard to be mad at ownership for that. I mean, you can't be mad at the front office, certainly. They offered the better package of players. It's just that Boston wanted to get rid of Price, or part of his contract, anyways. When they interviewed Ron Fowler, he he was saying that A.J. Preller was doing his best he could. But it seemed like the Red Sox were in a decision where do they want to— trade to dump salary or do they want to trade to acquire prospects the Red Sox seem to be more motivated to dump salary yeah if they were trading to acquire prospects then Mookie Betts would be a San Diego Padre and Will Myers would be a Boston Red Sox right now exactly 
But you know it's all right. I mean, they got they still got the best talent they've had in forever. Still got a great yeah. minor leagues. Still going to be a lot of fun ways this season can go. We there's a lot of unknowns, but a lot of potential positives too. So that'll be fun to watch this spring. And how about that trade we made last weekend, Emilio Pagan from Tampa Bay? Yeah, I really didn't think we needed another bullpen arm, so I was kind of confused at first. But the more I think about it. Every year, it seems, we get a guy, you know, he blows out his arm in spring training and needs Tommy John. You're like, wow, I wish we had somebody to fill in for that guy. Now, if that happens, you still got guys that can fill in mm-hmm. because you got Pagan. And you're really going to shore in some games with, you know, Pagan, Pomeranz, and Yates. I'm assuming that's going to be your 7-8-9, you know, switch Pagan and Pomeranz based on the lefties, righties coming up in the 7th, 8th inning, especially right. now with the three-batter rule, which, right. is, which is just stupid. And <laughs> that's classic Rob Manfred right there, just absolutely trying to destroy any tradition of baseball that remains. Right, right. Um, I, I think the move was fantastic because it – it puts gives it makes the Padres are capitalizing on their strength of the bullpen, which is wonderful. They got a, a few more chips to trade later if they need to. Yeah, it cleared some some of the log jam in the outfield and kind of gave us a little yeah. more clarity there. Um, so I, I like the move. And then if you've got that those young starters that can maybe only go five innings, you got a great bullpen to take it the rest of the way. Yeah, and that's another thing is like, yeah, we traded Manuel Margot. I'm not going to miss Margot. I mean, he was a re- good defender, yeah, but he really was not a good hitter, especially against right-hand pitchers. I mean, mm-hmm. he hit he he hit singles against lefties, some doubles, that's great, but he didn't hit against righties at all. And I'm really intrigued by Trent Grisham's upside. I really I, am. I am too. I'm very interested to see that guy. I feel like a lot of people are sw- are uh are sleeping on Trent Grisham. Mhm. I mean, he's they look at it's the same old school people who look at the batting average and like up oh, two thirty that's it it's like did you look at the on base it was three twenty despite being hitting only two thirty he walks he hits for power he's right. got some speed he's a lefty he's a lefty he can he has a good glove despite the error in the wild card game <laughs> yeah right right you know I'm intrigued by what Trent Grisham has and obviously Franchi Cordero is a huge wild card if he ever stays healthy but I think he's going to Triple A to get some at bats and. You know, get his feet back under him after he missed almost all of last year. Yeah. He looked really good in the winter league he was playing in. So I hope he goes to AAA, you know, gets his everyday at bats and is ready when, you know, inevitably somebody gets hurt. He always looks good. You yeah. know, he's I, such a tease. We just yeah, have to he really, hope he ever stays healthy. <laughs> I know. So yeah, I'm, I'm, Franchi is a guy to root for, no doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I don't need to talk about, you know, Tatis and Machado on the left side of the infield and, mm-hmm. I think Mejia should get 60, 65% of the starts at catcher. You know, have Hedges catch, you know, Lucchese or maybe one other pitcher that prefers him. But for the most part, I'd go with Mejia. I mean, I know Hedges is a good defender, but you can't have basically seven hitters because you're a National League team and you have the pitcher spot. You can't basically have a seven-man lineup and expect to, Mm -hmm. you know, be competing for the playoffs. So more often than not, you got to have Mejia in there. Yeah, I I like that 60, 65% Mejia. Or maybe if you're playing an AL Playing in AL Park in Interleague, you know, we go to Kansas City this year. Obviously, Seattle is always, and then mm-hmm. Detroit. And what was, oh, and Cleveland. Okay. That's where we go in Interleague. So when you're in those parks, you know, then you, it's not a seven man batting lineup. You can put Mejia DH and catch hedges. Right. When you're in AL Parks, that works too. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I, I'm actually really like our bench. I mean, I think Naylor's a good bench bat. I'm assuming he's going to be, you know, the fourth outfielder, maybe backup first baseman. 
you know, fill in for Myers mm-hmm. against a really tough righty, you know, maybe when fam needs Did a day Did you off. see that he showed up to camp, like lost like 20, 30 pounds? That's great because he was always athletic for his size. Yeah. So now that he's trimmed down, that's intriguing. So it's like the Matt Mitchell of the Padres. <laughs> so yeah. we'll be talking. There'll be the common line from the announcers. Oh, over the off season, you know, Naylor lost twenty five pounds. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I if Franchi Cordero just is hitting like four fifty in Triple A, and Myers is still struggling, then I don't care about Myers' salary. You got to bring Cordero and put Myers on the bench. Yeah, you have. And to. then you could still put Myers at first base for Hosmer against tough lefties. And mm-hmm. Hosmer, I want to talk about because. I think it was a bad contract just because he's a first baseman, and it's so easy to find first baseman for cheaper. I mean, you can convert an overweight third baseman or outfielder who hits and put him at first base. It's so much easier to find a first baseman for cheap. Like, G-Man Choi is not even making a million dollars for Tampa Bay mm-hmm. at first base. He had an over 800 AP- OPS last year. So just because of that, I would never pay a first baseman unless it's, you know, an elite of the elite, like, a Paul Goldschmidt, a Freddie Freeman, you know, Votto when he was good. Obviously, he's not the same anymore, but when mm-hmm. he was good, you know, mm-hmm. those are the kind of first basemen I'd pay and the only ones I'd pay. You know, Miguel Cabrera when he was good. That contract's terrible now, but when he signed it, it wasn't terrible because he was the best right-hand hitter in baseball then. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he's not he, – the contract's bad, but he's not the worst first baseman in Major League history. Like, some of those – I don't know what to describe them, people on Padres Twitter that I don't associate myself with anymore. I mean, I just can't with them anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's no, like, you either, it's like everybody on there either says, this team's winning 95 plus games and taking down the Dodgers, even with Mookie. If you don't believe that, go root for the Dodgers. <laughs> and then there's the other end of the spectrum where, like, Preller's the worst. Yeah. You know, we're going to finish in last place again. It's like, no, guys, come to the middle. This is like a mid-80s win team that has a chance to get a wild card berth in our first playoff berth since 2020. There's a lot of ways it can go, some good, some bad, but there's a good there's a decent chance they can make the playoffs for the first time in 14 years. Right, right. Uh, yeah, Padres Twitter is something. I mean, that's it's like uh you know what's that line, you know, don't uh don't wrestle with a pig that you just get dirty and the pig loves it. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a brutal space down there. And I there. keep saying all this thing about Will Myers going back to him is like, well, the organization messed him up when they moved him to the outfield when they signed Hosmer. I really don't get where that rant's coming from. I mean, yeah, that doesn't Where were those where were those people in 2017? I mean, every single game Myers played was at first base or DH in the American League. So basically, he knew he was going to play first base every night in 2017, which is what these people are arguing. And in 2017, he struck out 180 times and hit 222 with runners in scoring position. He was awful for half the season that year. Mm-hmm. He had a hot April. He had like an 840 OPS in June. And he had a hot September, May, June. I mean, sorry, May, July, August. He was awful that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't get the argument. And he wasn't good in the second half of 2016 either. I don't. I, I just don't get that argument. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. It seems well, like to me he just hurts himself with his attitude and his work ethic more than moving positions. I mean, look at Cody Bellinger in L.A., Cattell Marte in Arizona, Chris right, Bryant in Chicago. Right, right. Those guys are moving all over the place. It doesn't affect their hitting at all. Exactly. And, and, you know, maybe you can make a call that when he was doing the third base thing, that might have been pretty tough on him. But outfield first base, that's not a big deal. Yeah, I mean, he came up an outfielder when basically since Kansas City drafted him. I mean, he was drafted as a catcher, but Kansas City made him an outfielder pretty quickly. So Mm -hmm. it's not like he was learning an entirely new position when they signed Hosmer. I mean, he was a right fielder when he won 
rookie of the year in Tampa Bay. So yeah, I don't exactly. I don't get that argument. I just I, I, don't I just don't get it. I agree. So I just had to get that off my chest because I don't get it. But anyways, uh, last thing on the Padres is that. I actually kind of like our bench. You know, Garcia, you know, he can mm-hmm. he he always gives you a good at bat. He had a 364 on base percentage last year. He can play second, third and short adequately. Short not as good as the other two, but he can hold his own there. Right, right. Plus, you don't need him to play short cuz if something happens to Zatis, you just put Machado at short. Exactly. I mean, yeah. and France, you know, he's got he's got some pop, especially against left-hand pitching off the bench. I wouldn't I would almost never start him against a right-handed pitcher. Oh, yeah, of course not. No. But, you know, maybe you know, if Cordero's in AAA, you can start France at first base for Hosmer against a tough lefty. Mm-hmm. You know, or he can be a DH against OFD in an American League park if you didn't want both Mejia and Hedges in the lineup, like I was talking about earlier. I like, again, I like Naylor off the bench, like I was saying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hedges, you know, he's a great defensive first backup catcher. Right. That's that, And that's why I, wanted, why I wanted to trade him and get something for him, because... He's a great defensive first backup catcher to have, but you can find those guys on the free agent market for so cheap every year. Right. Anyways, yeah, I like the bench, especially now that the rosters are 26 men. That Jake Cronenworth guy we got with Fam from Tampa Bay, you know, he had a pretty good season hitting-wise in AAA last year, and he can pitch, too. Yeah, so he'll be a middle infield backup guy. Yeah, I mean, and then there's a game where you're down like 10 to nothing. You know, Mm -hmm. he can clean up the last couple innings. Exactly. Now, the Padres made a couple of late signings like this Juan Lagares is one of them, right? That was the outfielder for the Mets. Yeah. So, And then they've signed a couple of other guys like in the last few days. So you think that's just uh, getting some more bodies in spring training, creating a little competition? Well, the thing about Lagares is I actually think he has a really good chance to make the roster because he's basically an older Margot, you know, plays per- plays even better defense than Margot in center field. Mm-hmm. He hits against left-handed pitching, a little worse than Margot, actually, but still not bad. I mean, he had a terrible year last year, but for his career, he's not bad. Mm-hmm. And then, really good glove, you know, a guy who can play against a tough lefty for Grisham or Cordero, whoever's out there. So do you think the Padres carry five outfielders then? I do. I think it'll be probably Ligares and Naylor, with, like I said, with Cordero and AAA to get at-bats. Uh-huh. Then you'll see, you know, Cronenworth, Garcia... France as backup infielders, and now since you have twenty six men, six guy on the bench would be Hedges. Okay, so who who are the five outfielders then? So Fam, mm-hmm. Grisham, Myers, Naylor, and Lagares. Okay, with Franchi in, in AAA. Yes. Okay, I being can... the first guy up when he gets when somebody gets hurt, which is going to happen because you know nobody goes through a whole season without injuries. So then you have um, Grisham as your starting center fielder, mm-hmm. and then if you ever want to do a defensive replacement, you have Lagares. Yeah. But Grisham should be able to hold his own. He's yeah. he's a good player, right? Yeah. The only thing I'd say about that is, like, if you're playing Naylor in right field, then I'd put, you know, move Grisham over to right and put Lagares in center. There you go. Okay, that makes sense. But some of the some of the other guys you signed, I mean, Kyle Bearclaw, I mean, he was facing a, a long shot anyways. He'll probably end up in El Paso. Mm-hmm. And one guy that's pretty interesting to me of the minor league signings is Jared Eikhoff because yeah, yeah, he had a name. decent season in Philadelphia a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and that was giving up a lot of home runs, and Citizens Bank Park is a pretty hitter-friendly park. Mm-hmm. So you put him at AAA, you know, and when Richards probably gets hurt, because that's probably bound to happen. <laughs> right. I mean, I hope not, because yeah. I think he can be really good if he stays healthy. And it's not just Richards. Like, any starter gets hurt, you, you bring up Eikhoff. Well, do you think, is Eikhoff the next man up, or is it Quantrill? I mean, I would 
say Eikhoff just because you want to keep Quantrill. Like, I like Quantrill better as like a middle reliever. Mm-hmm. But I I like him as a starter okay, too. So Eikhoff or Quantrill, if either one of those guys is the next man up, so that's what, fine. What's your starting rotation one through five? Paddock, Richards, Lamette, Davies, Lucchese. Right. Okay, and then Eikhoff potentially the first man up. And then probably Quantrill second man up, because you know you're right. going to get injuries. Of course, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could need both of them the same week. Like, you have, like, you had a rain out earlier in the year, and you have, like, a game on what was a travel day. Right. And somebody got hurt on the same week. Then you need both of them in the same week. Right. Yeah, so that, yeah, that'll just be the, the cycle between El Paso yeah. and San Diego. And I think Mikel Baez and Adrian Morihone, with all the relievers we've signed mm-hmm. and traded for or whatever, mm-hmm. I think those guys are get, are going back down the minor leagues to stretch out as starters. Okay. So what about um, what about that pitcher that we we took off the 40-man? Remember he got busted for going through the doggy door? Um, Jacob Nix. Yeah, yeah. So he's still in the organization, isn't he? I think so, but he's just so far buried down the depth chart. Yeah. Which is just another thing about Padres Twitter is all these people are like, oh, we Nix, this Knicks guy is one of the prospects, and he got shelled. Like when he got shelled in his second star, I think it was against Arizona. Mm-hmm. Like, what are we doing? We're we're screwed. It's like, <laughs> we're, and some of us were like, dude, he's not even part of the future plans. And sure enough, two years later, he's buried on the organizational depth chart. Right. So... Oh, oh, the Trevor Hoffman bobblehead just fell off. <laughs> I'll leave him down there. Uh, all right, it's all good. His arm fell off. I don't know. <laughs> all right, it's gone. Cool. Well, like we say, we have the pitchers were destined to go on the DL, so. Yeah, it's already our first pitcher on the IL. <laughs> That's right, it's now the IL, not the DL, to be more politically correct. Love you, Trevor. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what's up, man? What else you got? Aztec basketball. I mean, they got to lose a game to give us something to talk about at some point, right? Uh, I hope not, man. <laughs> Twenty-five I just, and zero. I'm loving this. Mount West champions outright with two weeks to go. How awesome is this? It is awesome. It's fantastic. And you were talking about that Matt Mitchell, mm-hmm. like Naylor was like the Matt Mitchell of the Padres because <laughs> yeah. like ugh, the weight loss. Yeah. Matt Mitchell, that dude's an animal. He had a great game against New Mexico, and that dunk was fabulous. Got Bill Walton to smile about yeah, it. Yeah, I love the toothy grin from Bill Walton. That was awesome. And then he had the game against Utah State, too, on Kauai night. Yeah. It's like, and there's the thing going around where, of a picture of Kauai shaking Mitchell's hand before the game, and everyone's yeah. like, Kauai gave Matt Mitchell the magic touch. Yeah, I think He was I pretty saw. good against Air Force, too, in between those two games. Mitchell, He's just been fantastic since stepping into the starting lineup. Yeah. He's averaging almost 15 points a game in conference play since he entered the starting lineup. Yeah, he is just awesome. And he's a great guy, too. You know, he's a great guy to root for. He's He's got a good attitude. Um, he I mean, how, a, can, how can you not love the guy who dropped 25 pounds to get in shape and he's balling? How can you not love that? That's really dedication that you fantastic. Ha- that's dedication that you respect anyways. Then when he comes out balling for you after it, you love it. Yeah. And I love it when he gets the big play and he kind of walks over to the bench and gives him a little shimmy, you know. And I, I just love the swagger with Mitchell. Yeah. He's fantastic. This team is it's truly something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time, you know, it's, there's something that goes wrong that you think could maybe bring them back to earth a little bit. They just they just keep winning. Somebody else steps up, they keep winning. Yeah, it was Trey Pulliam one night. You Against, know. what was that, the UNLV it was game? UNLV. You know, it's always someone. Uh, and that's what makes it special. Um, yeah, I just I just hope we get to see Nate Mensa. You know, maybe did you see what Dutch told uh, Schaefer on the radio a week or two ago? I guess maybe for Mountain West Conference. They're saying NCAA tournament, if not Mountain West tournament, and I hope that's true. And we definitely need him for like big guy defense and rebounding down there. 
But at the same time, I wouldn't even put him back in the starting lineup, at least not right away, because no, no, Mitchell went in for him. You can't take Mitchell out. No. And if you're going to put him back in the starting lineup, you know, after he gets a couple games under him, I mean, that's cool. But if you take anybody out of the starting lineup, and this is hard to do because I love Jordan Shackle, but he's got to be the one that comes out of the starting lineup. Yeah, if, if you had if, to pick a guy, it would have to be him. But I wouldn't do that. I'd just bring Mensa, you know, off. My dad and I were talking about this. Just bring Mensa off the bench exactly. when you need big guy defense and rebounding. That's exactly right. Or if Yanni gets like two fouls in the first half. You yeah, know. you should be able to. Ma- that's another thing. Because of the way Mitchell's played, you can manage it so that Yanni's never in foul trouble. Right, exactly. If Mensa does come back, that's going to be huge. You know, in the, in the early part of the season, um, Joel Mensa was showing some promise, but lately he seems to be. Like playing a little bit over his skis, you know? Yeah. A little bit out of his realm. Him and Narain are both frustrating to me. Right. Because both of them have games where they look good. Like they can actually contribute. Right. And then they have other games where they just look lost. And they're just so frustrating because of that. Like, I'm not counting on them at all. Mm-hmm. That's like a lot of some of these Padres I talk about that are frustrating or, incon- or inconsistent. Namely, Will Myers. But you just can't count on guys who show flashes but are inconsistent. Like, they're just too frustrating, too unreliable. Mm-hmm. So I don't count on them. But, I mean, this team's, even without Mensa, they're eight deep because you got Pulliam and a rope off the bench, Seiko off the bench. Yeah. When he's not stepping out of bounds. <laughs> I mean, that was a rough game for him, but he had like yeah. four turnovers all season before that. Yeah. That, so you get Nathan Mensa back, you know, you're nine deep. Well, I think with a rope healthy again, that is a huge boost to the bench. Absolutely. Yeah. He plays with a lot of energy, good rebounder. Yeah. And we saw that in the last game. I mean, the guy would shoot and he'd get his own rebound and go right back up again. So yeah. he was fantastic. Yeah, they got four games left in the regular season. Two of them are pretty tough, in my opinion. First one, tomorrow at Boise State for two reasons. One, Boise State, I don't believe they've lost at home in conference play. And no, they lost a game in non-conference play at home. I don't know who it was against. But yeah, in conference, they're undefeated mm-hmm. at home. Yeah, and... You know, we got the target on our back, and, you know, they're going to hype up this game like we're at home against the number four team, only undefeated. Let's be the one to knock them out. Oh, yeah, no doubt. They're going to be fired up for that. And they're they're respect, they're respect a very respectable opponent anyways, as is. Oh, yeah. And another thing that worries me about tomorrow, it's kind of that weird game time, you know, like a Saturday or Sunday at like 1 o'clock. Mm-hmm. It's one of those weird game times where just weird stuff seems to happen. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you remember 2015 yeah. when we lost to Little Rock at home. It was like a Saturday at like 3 o'clock. Yeah. You know, the San Jose State this game this year was a Sunday at what, noon? Yeah. And... So it's like bad juju. And then the even the Cal Poly game where he looked sluggish in the first half. I mean, we won by a comfortable margin in the end, but mm-hmm. we were sluggish in the first half. And that was, you know, a Saturday at 4 o'clock. You know, just something weird about those Saturday and Sunday games in the afternoon that just gives you bad vibes. And then, like, mm-hmm. 2019, last year on New Year's Day, we played, like, Northridge on New Year's Day at like one o'clock and, or noon, and we were down like seventeen in the first half. I'm like, what's going on? I remember that game. That was uh, that was something. So yeah, that's going to be a tough one at Boise. They bring the fans out. You know, Jessup is a great player. Who's the other kid? Is it um, uh, the tall, skinny guy that's uh, really athletic? 
I was going to say Alfred, but that's obviously not Alfred. I can't remember his name. I can't either, but, yeah, but he's, I'm sure he's we'll a, see him tomorrow, and I'm sure he's going to be an issue for us. Yeah, he's terrific. And then um, I just remember the game, I know it was probably like five, six years ago, when Dwayne Poli hit the three-pointer at the buzzer to win it for the Aztecs. Yeah, and we've lost our last three games there. And yeah. That Sweet 16 year you mentioned, we needed a Poli three at the buzzer to come back from a double-digit deficit, I believe. Yeah. You know, that's that's a tough place to play up there at Extra Mile Arena. It, it's right. It's now Extra Mile. I like Taco Bell Arena better. <laughs> the funniest thing is, is that when when it was originally, you know, Taco Bell Arena, I used to always think it was Taco Ballerina. <laughs> that's what I heard in my head. It was funny. So, yeah, so Extra Mile. So I guess what that's like the convenience store at the gas station, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, all good. So, yeah, tomorrow at 1 o'clock is the game? Yeah. 1 o'clock Pacific? Mm-hmm. All right, that's going to be fantastic. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and then we got another tough game, the season finale at Reno on the 29th. That's going to be tough. That's a, that's going to be a I – mean, we still have to play UNLV, but that one's going to be at home, right? Yes, and I don't see us losing at home. You know, we're getting – the energy's back in VA Haas. And we've won – other than the San Jose State game, we've won every single conference home game by at least nine points, I believe. Okay. So there's the road games at Boise and Reno. Mm-hmm. The home game is UNLV, and who's the other one? Colorado State. Colorado they State. They played pretty well, but we did go up into Fort Collins and beat them by 20, so I'm not too overly worried. Okay. Even it's though they have played pretty well lately. It's just those two road games. But, you know, Dutch says now, hey, now the next goal is just to win the next four. And I, I like that pacing of setting goals. That- now, here's the thing. Do we want to be where we are now and be a one seed in the East? Or do we would we rather you know drop a game and be a two in the West? Uh, I th- that's those that's mind games right there. I think you just got to win, just win, and let everything else take care of itself. If they end up as a number one in the East, then just keep winning. The thing about number one in the East, I mean, it's great to have a one seed, but the two seed in the East probably going to be Duke, and Duke has that fantastic record at Madison Square Garden where we'd face them in the Elite Eight. That's Really worrisome to me. So I'm, what I'm hoping for is I never root for my team to lose. So right. like when all these people have wanted the Padres to lose games the last couple of years to tank, like I'm just like, really? You want your own team to lose? Mm-hmm. Anyways, I don't want to lose, obviously. So what I'm hoping for is Gonzaga drops a game. They have at Pepperdine tonight. Pepperdine gave them a tough game up in Spokane, and Pepperdine's playing better since then. Okay. So help us out there, Pepperdine. And if not, we got to hope for our old friends, BYU, when Gonzaga goes to Provo next weekend. Or St. Mary's in the WCC tournament. Yeah, but they just blew out St. Mary's at St. Mary's, so I'm not going to get my hopes up for that. All right. But do you think a, a, a single Gonzaga loss would be enough to flip it so the Aztecs would be number one yeah, in the West? Yeah, they're talking about, there's already debate that we should be ahead of Gonzaga as it is, and I, all the tournament guys are saying Gonzaga and SDSU are really, really close, so if we win all our games and Gonzaga drops one, we should flip-flop with them and get to be the one in the West. Right. And the one in the West would be the perfect scenario, because then you're still a one seed and you have the Sweet 16 Elite Eight at Staples Center. Right. So what I'm rooting for is we win all our games, Gonzaga drops a game, and then Baylor blows out Kansas when they play them in Waco. Right. I believe that's next week. Okay. Because if if Kansas wins, you know, that just helps them. And Baylor's not going to drop out of a one seed because of one loss. Do you think there's any scenario where... Um, but if Baylor gets blown out by Kansas, they're going to be like, yeah, Kansas, you know, they they don't have that huge win. We're going to, excuse me, drop them to a two. Well, what would, like, imagine, for example, that um, Baylor blows out Kansas... Then we're like the number three, right, in the rankings. Right. And then maybe, 
you know, let's say Gonzaga still is number one in the West, but rather than having us be sent to the East, maybe Kansas gets sent to the East and then we become the number one in the South or in the Midwest. It would be Midwest. Baylor would be South. There you go. Okay. I mean, that seems to be like the most logical and fair thing. I just question if the tournament will send a blue blood out East. Ah. Although they could want Kansas out there to set up a potential Kansas Duke Elite Eight. Like, mm. they could, the, remember when those two teams played in the Elite Eight a couple years ago, it was a fantastic game. Yeah. It when was. overtime, mm-hmm. remember my dad and I were listening to it on the radio on the way home from spring training. It was a fantastic game. So it's quite possible that they put Kansas out east to have. A potential meeting with Duke in the Elite Eight. So that actually is a good point. That that might be possible. Right. So so we'll root for Baylor to beat Kansas. Not just beat them, blow them out. Okay. I what, mean, they won by double digits when they played at uh, Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence. So I don't think it's going to be too much of an issue for Baylor to win. At Hopefully home. they just run them out of the gym. You know what okay, I mean? Yeah. Run them out of the gym. Okay. Cool. Okay, that's a, that's a that's an interesting. I think that's angle. possible because Kansas yeah. they have some nice wins. You know, they beat Dayton, they beat BYU. Mm-hmm. I believe both of those were on neutral floors too. Mm-hmm. They had another good win. I can't remember who it was. They beat West Virginia twice. Although West Virginia completely gave them that game the other night. Right. Right. So West Virginia was up like seven with like seven minutes left, and then they didn't score again. <laughs> So, yeah, th- this is gonna, it's going to be great. You know, it's like the end of the uh, Major League Baseball season when there's a lot of contention, people jockeying for oh, position. Yeah. That's what we're going to see in college basketball over the next, you know, two to four weeks. Yeah, I almost feel like wanting to avoid being in a region with Duke is like the Minnesota Twins wanting to avoid the New York Yankees yeah. in the American League Division Series. Yeah, freaking Duke. I mean, they beat us in the first round. When was that? A couple years ago. It was ago. round of 32 in 2015. That was when we beat John's, beat St. John's in the round of 64. Yeah. Then we lost to Duke in the round of 32, and Duke went on to win the national championship. Right. Just like when we lost to UConn, and they went on to win the national championship. Yeah. So, yeah, it would be good to avoid Duke. I agree. And, you know, Jalen McDaniels got called up to Charlotte, and he's played pretty well. He had 10 points the other night. He had eight points the game before that. He's not getting a ton of minutes yet, but when he's in there, he's producing so hopefully they start giving him some more minutes yeah and he can really become something now did you actually see him like a video of him playing or you just saw the stats no i just saw the stats i mean they don't televise charlotte hornets games i mean i would be it'd be interesting to see how his really thin body and lightweight would handle being on the court with all those humongous men well he's shooting a lot of mid-range and outside shots okay he is he did have six rebounds the other night though so that's something to kind of look at be like okay he's getting in there a little bit right I'd, I'd be curious to see how he would handle that especially in the paint yeah you know does he must he would be bounced around pretty easily so but i'm happy for him i'm yeah, happy that he's him. having success i mean you can say all you want about this team being better without him and i've said that for a while mm-hmm. and because you know he wasn't all in on the team last year you know once he got some nba prospect hype he was just trying to you know better himself for the nba draft but right it's not like he was lazy or he was a bad teammate or he was selfish. He mm-hmm. just wasn't all in on the team. And 17-18, we don't make the tournament without him. So good for him. Yeah, good for him. Now, did we uh, dodge a bullet by not getting his brother? Oh, I think so, too. I mean, look at Washington. They've been awful in Pac-12 play. Mm-hmm. And he's getting technical fouls all the time. We definitely dodged a bullet not getting his brother. And I'm not even really for getting these, like, five-star, you know, McDonald's All-American guys. I mean, look at the guys we have now. It's a bunch of experienced transfers playing as a unit, all for each other, and that's what makes this team great. Dutch said on the radio the other day, I wasn't with Jim Rome, it was with somebody else, he was saying, 
the greatest thing this team has that you can't measure on metrics is chemistry. Right, right. Yeah, no doubt. And they've got it. They got it in spades. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's great. Yeah, right on, man. So tomorrow against Boise. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. And tomorrow night, I believe it is, Kawhi, another all-star game. He's on Team LeBron. Oh, cool. So another all-star game for Kawhi. Not that that's a shocker. So... Did, do you do you know like who's going to be in the slam dunk contest or the three point contest? Is that going to be interesting? You think it might be? I don't know exactly who's in it. The only thing I know is Devin Booker replaced Damian Lillard in both the three point contest and the All Star game. That's the only thing I do know. Okay. Well, I saw like one of those scrolling headlines this morning. I guess in the futures game, or not the futures game. They call it the up and coming game or something. The Rising Stars. Rising Stars. That I guess Zion Williamson had a real like uh, you know he was fantastic. Yeah, I mean he's Zion Williamson. I mean I expect no less. <laughs> right on. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm really ha- speaking of Devin Booker. I'm real happy for him because Devin Booker is as you know he's a Phoenix Sun. You know they're not a huge market. They've been bad for a while since mm-hmm. Steve Nash. Mm-hmm. You know he's kind of a guy he. He balls on bad teams and kind of flies under the radar. We saw guys like that in San Diego a lot. Right. So Devin Booker's a lot of like a lot of guys I've seen in San Diego, so I'm real happy for Devin Booker. Cool. And see, Devin Booker is not a guy that I know very much about. So like you say, it flies under the radar. Absolutely. So it's nice to see those kinds of guys get recognition and get on this big stage. Yeah. Last thing I want to say is, you know, we had the Super Bowl two weeks ago. Really good game. I was I was very happy with that game. It was a, it was a good game. Yeah, it was. I mean, I said it before coming in that I had reasons for both teams to want to win. So I wanted a good game that came down the wire, and that is exactly what we got. Stephen A. Smith was not happy with the 49ers because they got out of their uh, run their run uh, offense. You know when they lost that game? In my opinion, there was what five and a half left when it was twenty to seventeen. Mostert gets the carry on first down. He gets five yards. If a Kansas City linebacker doesn't trip him up in the hole, he's probably going for 50. Mm-hmm. So you're like, run it down their throats again. Get another first down. You know, take another two minutes off at least. Right. They throw on second and five. Chris Jones bats it down. Right. That stops the clock, and it's third and five. So now Kansas City's in a position where they can bring pressure, which is what Steve Spagnola always wants to do. Mm-hmm. And Kansas City, when you're worried about Frank Clark and Chris Jones and you bring an extra guy— you're done. Yeah. And that's what happened to the Niners. You know, there's pressure. Garoppolo, was that when he scrambled or threw incomplete? I can't remember. I, remember. I think he threw incomplete. Mm-hmm. They punt him back. Mahomes brought him down the field, and they scored the touchdown. They won. Yeah. So that's when the Niners lost the game. And it's just amazing to me. Kyle Shanahan learned nothing from 28-3. to Remember, he was Atlanta's offensive coordinator that year. They blew that lead against New England in the Super Bowl. He learned nothing from 28-3. to uh, absolutely nothing. I, I don't know how you could learn absolutely nothing from the the, the greatest choke in NFL history. That was that was yeah. And I'm just thinking about it. that was an amazing choke, and he didn't learn from it. I don't get it. Wow. Anyways, the game kind of went as I thought. I figured you know Kansas City wouldn't try to stretch the field until later because of the pass rush, but once they stretched the field. Their receivers were just too fast for Richard Sherman. I'm mean, again something I predicted. I mean, Watkins blew by him to, for the big play to set up the game-winning score. Right. And then there was that tackle that he had, like right by the goal line, and you know the the Kansas City players snuck in. Do you remember that one? Yeah. So so, anyways, yeah, Sherman's showing his age a little bit. I think. I mean, he's he's a great corner because of you know his attitude and his technique and mm-hmm. how intelligent he is. Yeah. But he does not have great foot speed. And I said for two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl that the speed of Kansas City's receivers were going to be a problem for him. And Tyreek Hill ran right by him for the third and 15 when it was 20 to 10. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. 
it, it pretty much went as expected. Kansas City's speed on the outside won that game for him. And they got enough pressure on Garoppolo when they had to. Kind of thought that was going to happen too. And again, it was just the perfect storm for Kansas City and in a Super Bowl. Like mm-hmm. I said on here, right before the Super Bowl, it's like everything's falling into place for him. Right. Like I had people saying, well, San Francisco, you know, with that defense and running game, they're built more like a champion than Kansas City. Like people were thinking Kansas City was like the Marino Dolphins teams that never won a Super Bowl. <laughs> but, right. I mean, Sure, you can say that. San Francisco was built more like a champion, you know, with the better defense or whatever, but Kansas City won. Everything fell into place for them. You know, um, yeah, I, I was raised a Niner fan, so I've my instinct is to root for the 49ers. But I, I've lost touch with San Francisco since I've been in San Diego now, since the early 80s. But you made an interesting comment in our last podcast about Clark Hunt and how he really indirectly was a supporter of San Diego. He really was. And, 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 that and was, if I ever saw him in person by chance, I would thank him for sticking up for us. I really would. And so th- that made me start to root for Kansas City more in that Super Bowl because of that comment you made to me. Yeah, and my parents are Niner fans, so I was going to be fine if the Niners won. But there was something with Kansas City that made me want to root for them anyways. And then there's this. And i got to put my nose aside for this. This is personal for me. Okay, right on. So first of all... Background story, like, I never hated the Chiefs, even when I was a Charger fan. Mm-hmm. No, I was like, you know, Denver and New England were the teams I hated. You know, <laughs> right. and then the Raiders, you know, because of the image of their fans sure. and the violence against sure. whatever. That's another story. I'm not going to get into that. Right. But for Kansas City, they were the remaining division rival. And I said, you know, I mean, they're awful, but, you know, their fans are always there. I respect their fans. They're always there making noise. Arrowhead's always loud even yes. when they, and packed, even when they stunk when I first watched football. And then, you know, they got Andy Reid come in. They had a couple playoff appearances, you know, didn't really go anywhere with it. Then Mahomes comes in, changes everything, you know. And so, you know, good for the Chiefs kingdom. I mean, that's one of the most loyal fan bases and most passionate fan bases you're going to find in the entire National Football League. Mm -hmm. I agree, yeah. So good for them for winning. And it's hard to pick out just one guy from that fan base. I mean, Kansas City, the greater Kansas City is what, 2.1 million people? Mm -hmm. And that fan base extends into Nebraska, Iowa, Arkansas. But there's one one guy I know that made me real happy Kansas City won. And on my San Diego sports page... Mm -hmm. I have a follower from Kansas City. I met him at Petco Park mm-hmm. in 2017 when his family was on vacation out here. Really good kid. I mean, he's one of my favorite people on Instagram. I've become pretty good friends with him, actually. I talk to him all the time. Right on. You know, he's he had some he's had some things that haven't gone his way. Like He's had a tough time last couple of weeks, and mm. he really needed that. He's a diehard Royals and Chiefs fan, and ah. he really needed that Chiefs win to distract him from all the other stuff going on. And right on. It, it gave him a happy distraction for a few days. Mm-hmm. So the fact that that happened made me real happy Kansas City won for him because he really needed that happy distraction for a couple of days. Right on. Right on. So shout out to him. He listens to these podcasts. So shout out to him. Okay, cool. That's a nice touch right there. Nice. Um, yeah, you know, we, the when our sports teams do well, when we're loyal fans, it lifts us up. Right. Mm -hmm. And when they have a rough go, it it kind of brings us down. 
You know, so it's wonderful to see when people are experiencing that joy of winning, you know, and that's why this podcast I talk about, it's about life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Mm -hmm. And this is the pursuit of happiness is I think what you just touched on. There's a lot of there's a lot of reasons we love sports. You know, Mm -hmm. it can be a lot of different things. You can treat sports a lot of different ways. It can be, you know, just some fun entertainment. But sometimes it's a necessary distraction. And for my friend that I just talked about, it was the Chiefs winning that Super Bowl. It was a necessary distraction for him. You know, I talked about this leading up to the Super Bowl. How was, might have been, you might have even been two podcasts ago where I talked about how when Philadelphia won, I was initially really happy for them. But then, like, afterwards, I'm like, you know, this sucks. I mean, we in San Diego waited that forever and never got it, just like Philly, and we're never going to get it. And Philly did. So it made me kind of sad in a way. And I thought if the Chiefs won, that was going to happen for me because I was like, wow, that's great for them. But we had we waited forever for that, too, and we're never going to get a chance now. Mm-hmm. But because of what I was talking about with my friend, I can't feel that way. I just got to feel happy for him that he got that distraction. Exactly. Because yes. it was, cause th- when people tell you sports is just a game, I mean, that can be true sometimes. But sometimes it's a necessary distraction, and that's what it was in this case for him. So well, good for him and real happy because of that. Life can be tough, man. Life is a struggle. Um, we are trying to overcome our own challenges every day. Yeah, like sometimes you need a distraction to give you some relief, mm-hmm. you know, to give you a place where you can relax and have some joy. So right on, man. Great to shout out to that guy out in Kansas City. Yeah, I mean, it's for him, it was like it proved what sports really are. It's like yeah. When your team wins a championship, it's like playing when you're playing Super Mario Brothers and you get the invincibility <laughs> star. Like you feel like nothing can stop you for that short amount of time. Right, right. But then once it wears off, it's just back to normal, back to reality. All right, right on. Okay, so um, football's done. Basketball, college basketball's heating up. We got the All Star in the NBA. We got spring training getting going. Mm-hmm. It's a great time of year, man. Yeah. What are you looking forward to right now? What's your big thing? Is it tomorrow, the, the Aztec game? Yeah, like Aztec basketball is my main thing right now. Like, mm-hmm. I'll watch Padres spring training, but I won't really be fired up about it till I actually get there for the weekend. Right. Because right now I'm all zoned in on Aztec basketball. Right. But you said you're going out to uh, Peoria in a couple of weeks. Yeah, right? two weeks from now. That's going to be great, man. We're seeing them. Um, maybe we're going to go out Friday night to see them play the Cubs in mm-hmm. Peoria on the 28th. Mm-hmm. Definitely seen them playing Cincinnati Reds in Goodyear on the 29th and... The San Francisco Giants back in Peoria on March 1st, my birthday, so that'll be fun. Oh, fantastic, man. So Birthday and, weekend at spring training, what could be better? And you're, yeah, I agree. What could be better? And the good, the cool thing is, is that you're going to be there in the early part of spring training. So you're going to get to see a lot of the young talent. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some of the, you know, Machado is probably not going to play, but maybe you'll get a chance to see well, Patino. Well, Machado will probably play the games in Peoria. That's what usually happens. Like the veterans don't go on those road trips early in spring. Okay. But, you know, that's kind of cool because, you know, maybe I'll see Gore Patino pitch yeah, exactly. pitching Goodyear against Mike Moustakis. Yes. Against Nick Castellanos. Yes. That'll be cool. I 100% agree. And then um, so we get to see the the hot lava talent, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be good. Yeah. All right. Last thing I want to say before closing is that for Kansas City, I mean, I can't really be jealous like because like what I said, I was just happy for my friend. But yeah. they are the four city since the 21st century that has both a World Series and Super Bowl. 
And it's just kind of funny because the other three are Boston, New York, and Philadelphia. So you got four cities that have both the World Series and Super Bowl since 2000. Three are these big, huge northeastern cities. And then there's little Kansas City in the Midwest is number four. It's kind of funny. <laughs> that is. But definitely deserving. I yeah, mean, good for them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so I guess now as a San Diego fan... We can hope for a World Series, but we won't be able to have the Super Bowl to go along with no, it. No, I mean, and the, 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 in the classic San Diego fashion, we could easily be number five, but we have neither. <laughs> you know what I mean? We yeah. could easily be the fifth, but instead yeah. we have neither. Like, right. I think the 07 Padres and the 06 and 09 Chargers could have won in a championship. That's possible. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I still believe that because the 07 Padres lost the wild card tiebreaker to Colorado, who went to the World Series against Boston. Was that the uh, Matt Halliday uh, yes, it series? Was. Okay. And during the regular season that year, the Padres played a three-game series against the Red Sox. They blew them out in the middle game and lost two close games on Friday and Sunday. Ah. Of that, it was a weekend series. Mm-hmm. So they definitely could have competed with the Red Sox that year if we'd gotten the chance to get there. But in typical San Diego fashion, we weren't even close. <laughs> Oh man, and and yeah, the, and the Chargers. That was when they had LT and Philip Rivers was young, and Antonio Gates that was, was young. Sean Merriman before Jeff Fisher took out his knees. Oh yeah, yeah, Merriman was playing. So that was a, that was good times for the Chargers too. And then it just all fell apart. It did in in San Diego fashion. It's a San Diego sports curse. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. Yeah, I mean, break the trend, Aztecs. So I want to. Here, just another random thing. What do you think about these Tom Brady rumors? I'm starting to see that maybe the Raiders, some of the 49er fans are being wishful thinking. I still don't think he goes anywhere. But what do you? What's your? Take? I think he's going to Vegas. You do? I think he's going to be a Las Vegas Raider because you know they had the big MMA fight in Vegas, fights in Vegas a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, more like a month ago. But anyways, when he was there, supposedly he was you know chatting up with Mark Davis. Supposedly he's looking at homes in Vegas. Really. And if you look at the Raiders' personnel, it makes sense. Hunter Renfro, no, not the former outfielder that we traded Tampa Bay. The the he, I guess he, you can consider him a second-year guy now since right. the 2019 season's over out of Clemson. You know, that's his sh- short little white wide receiver. That's his Julian Edelman. <laughs> you got Darren Waller just yeah. had a breakout season yeah. as tight end. You know, that's his Gronk. Okay. Jalen Richard's a really good receiving running back. You know, that's his James White. Ah. And you know Gruden. Gruden is not really a fan of Carr, and because Carr played in, because Gruden plays in like a short pass, you know, old school kind of offense, like where you're under center a lot. And Carr was always in the shotgun at Fresno State. Mm. So, so there is something so to that. Brady huh? fits Gruden's style of play. The Raiders have the kind of players that Brady likes playing with. He's chatting up with Mark Davis at an MMA fight in Vegas. He's supposedly. I think Tom Brady's going to be a Las Vegas Raider. Really? Okay, now that would be huge news if that broke. That's and you know a lot of my predictions out here come true, not to toot my own they, horn. They do. So if you're a Las Vegas Raider fan and you want Tom Brady, don't forget to thank me when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would, that would be something. I'll tell you what. So, um, wow. All right. Well, Dave, thanks for coming, man. Thanks for having me. Love talking sports with you. So uh, we'll have you back maybe in a couple of weeks, maybe a, a report after you come back from spring training. You can tell us all about your adventures. You want me then, or do you want to wait till after we find out where the Aztecs are going in March? Hey, you're, the invitation is always on the table for you. When you're ready, give me a call. I mean, it could be like the gift, too. Why not both? Yeah, why not both? <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. <laughs>
Okay, thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks for having me.